You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, we're back. Primal Radio. What's up, Tommy? Well, today, Jim, I'm hungry. Hungry for knowledge because today's show is all about nutrition. <laughs> it is. It's great. I'm excited about it. Um, got a real great guest on today. Today, I, I, shit, I got to the gym today at 3.30 this morning. I don't know why I woke up. I get up early anyway, but I got up extra early for whatever reason. Killed it early. Been training guys, and now I finally got the last guy out of the gym. <laughs> so we're ready to go. Do you have a, a special uh, introduction? Did you prepare something, Tom? I was actually going to freestyle it and uh, pay tribute to my old housemate, a, a okay. guy called Mike Mayer, who, who sometimes yep. listens to the show. Mike used to make iPhone apps. Right? So we, we lived together. Um, he made some for Jamie Oliver, the, the, uh, the, the chef. And then he went on to do right. a fitness app for a world-famous MMA fighter that we'll come on to in a second. And through that process, they had a nutritionist assigned right. who's one of the world's best and most renowned. And Mike decided to go on his program, and it changed his life in a lot of ways. So, so Mike was a wow. guy that no wasn't kidding. always working out. What this program did is kind of implement little changes in habits every couple of weeks and turned him from a guy that, as I say, didn't work out to a guy that had a six-pack and really just thought about how he ate, what he ate, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw those differences happen. Right. And I've always wanted to do a show about nutrition. So what we wanted to do was get someone who was really credible to give us that information. Right. The UFC fighter in question is George St. Pierre. Everyone knows him. He's in incredible shape and then he needs to get results. And he, he's done that for a sustained period of time. Program in question is called Precision Nutrition. You, could, you guys can look yeah. that up and we'll come on and talk about that later in the show. And the main man in question is Dr. John Berardi. Welcome to the show, John. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. This is amazing. Thanks for the beautiful <laughs> introduction as well. Yeah. Like, wow, I couldn't top that introduction if I tried myself. Oh, yeah. So, Well, dreams do come true, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Hey, man, thanks. I, I said earlier before we started the show, thanks for coming on. I know you're busy. You got a lot of stuff in the cooker and... Uh, Wow, tremendous! I've known of you for quite some time, as as Tom has, and I've come across the website and your story and so on and so forth. And my God, let me take two seconds because this guy has got uh, holy smokes! This don't do it. Are we just going to bore everyone listening? No, just two seconds. All right. Just I know it sucks. (laughs) Here's the deal: like you and your website has got so much information. John co-founded Precision Nutrition, this incredible wealth of information and certification and coaching for health and uh, nutrition, especially, right? He's written countless articles in magazines, books. You've written, uh, you're writing a third book now, right? I am, yes. yes when's that, that going to be done? Uh, 2019. It's kind of, uh, it's the, my first foray into writing sort of a career development book for people who work in health, fitness, and wellness. So, oh, no you know, it's sort of kind of the culmination of my 20 years in the, in the field. People who start out like I did is I started out as a personal trainer. Uh, many of them are only in the field for 18 months or two years. And I've been doing this for 20 years and have had a lot of success. So I think I have some lessons to share. So that's yeah, the next no, one. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. So there was so a couple of books you read, the gourmet, uh, uh, gourmet nutrition, the, the essentials of the sport and exercise nutrition. You've worked at several universities and 
good Lord, you've trained and, and taught tons of celebrities and stars in the MMA and, you know, you speak or you're an athlete, you're a former athlete. Now you were a track and field guy, right? Rugby I, guy. I still am. Yeah. Still I actually are, still, still compete in master's level track. No kidding. Is this a big, uh, no, it's not <laughs> it's <laughs> I mean, me and one other guy. <laughs> they, they have competitions and stuff, but right. you know, I competed in sport at, at an elite level. And like you said, I've worked with GSP and I've right. worked with the Spurs and, uh, so, so when a bunch of us old guys get together and have Canadian national masters track and field championships, we can You're make there. ourselves feel really special, <laughs> but when you know what the athletics looks like, you're like, this is just a cute thing for old guys to do. But, you know, I, I, I'm still bringing home medals from Canadian nationals. So that's I'm, great. Uh, I'm good for being bad, I guess, or whatever right. you want to say. Right. Well, you know, look, I I, we, I do a lot of boxing in my gym. We got a, and I got masters level boxers. These some of these guys are over their forty years old. They're badasses, but they won't allow them to compete at the lower level. You know, with younger guys, or perhaps they shouldn't for a whole host of reasons. And they're excellent boxers. Why shouldn't they compete? You know, so they go to age appropriate, skill appropriate. You know, these guys are bad dudes. You wouldn't want to try to you know take their wallet from them at the Walmart. They right. take you out. You know, say hey, that's that's great that you can still do that and have a passion for. It. How are the joints from doing that running and track and field? They feel it actually. Is, it's they're better than ever because of really? the work that, that track uh, training entails. You know, I mean, I I I was a sprinter when I was younger, and right. then I had a 25 year hiatus growing a business and just <laughs> you know, having family and working out right. uh, in the gym. And then I, I came back to it when I was 37, I'm 44 now. And um, the mobility work that you do, the drills that you do are all sort of anti-aging, right? So my hips, my knees, everything went the other direction. It went younger again. You know, I started feeling wow. great through movement and stuff. So I've come to look at track and field. You don't have to train like I do now but as something that can really help with longevity. Like if you're, a, a lot of guys will weight train or do um, cardio or whatever, but nothing can replace the mobility and skill drills that you do with track work. And even if you only did that like once a week, right. I think it would be completely restorative and life-changing for a lot of people. I agree. I got to tell you, I've been doing martial arts for 45 longer than you've been alive. And uh and beating the living hell out of my body and everything I've ever done. And my training over the last year, perhaps, I've weighed, I'm 53 now, has gone to that mobility, that movement kind of training, that sort of philosophy, because I want to be able to get up off the couch, you know, right. you know right. which is a big deal, because you think you, we think we're going to be 20 forever, you yeah. know, and, and when you can eat anything and do anything you want, well, uh, to my surprise, <laughs> that is simply not true. I'm fighting it. To the but actually, your story were you always into health and fitness? Were you a normal no. kid, sickly kid? Is it just? Yeah, you know, no. I was. I was born super premature. I was born really? with a heartbeat. So I, I lived in the hospital for too long when I was born. And wow. then growing up, I had asthma and allergies and all those things, you know. So and I come from an immigrant family. So my two Italian parents, uh, my mom in particular, was like, oh, you can't play sports," and you know. So I <laughs> wasn't allowed to do anything. <laughs> When I got to high school, though, I started, um, you know, hearing about how fitness and exercise and nutrition could play an important role in this. So I, you know, I'd be moonlighting, you know, after I did my homework in nutrition texts and stuff and exercise yeah. texts. And I started just, uh, I guess, treating myself with right. better food choices. I remember like, 
buying kitchen supplies off of uh, like the late night infomercials ah! <laughs> uh, okay. with like my with my part time job money, and, no and then kidding. I thought maybe I'd be a chef, and uh, and, and but. Kind of magic. How old were you when you were doing this? When do you start? Like sixteen or something no like kidding. that. And I started to feel better, and then I started to have more energy, and I didn't have asthma, and my allergies were getting better. And then I started uh, working out regularly and building muscles, and I was like, "Whoa, this is you know, this is kind of fantastic, right?" Like I was right. using exercise and nutrition as medicine for all my ailments, and then then I was like, "All right, cool. I'm really late to the sports game." But I'm progressing faster than everyone else because I'm doing smart things. So by the time I got to university, I played university football, I ran track, and this was without ever having done anything prior to that. Through good eating, smart periodized training protocols, uh, just over those few years, and then obviously the practice. You must have been like a bit of the odd one out, right? If you know, at high school, everyone's eating fries and pizza and you're following a proper regime and, and eating well. I mean, even, even high school athletes normally eat quite badly. It's true, yeah. Unless they meet someone like me who teaches them how to do it, yeah, they're just eating what they eat, right? And they, they feel like they're good. And, and this is the case with George as well. Um, right. They're lean. They feel energetic or whatever. They feel as good as they know how to feel right. um, eating whatever, right? And so they don't really realize if you make a couple tweaks or – you fix your calories a little bit or eat more protein, uh, how much better you can feel, you know, how your performance can increase. Now, I'm always hesitant to say that if you start working with a world champion. I'd be like, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to tweak your diet. Imagine how much better you'll do. Well, wait, why do I have to do better? Is there like a a, NBA championships where you play other worlds? You know what I mean? That we need to prepare for. (laughs) We just won the biggest one on this planet. You know, so I'm always a little hesitant not to say uh, nutrition is so powerful that's going to change an elite, elite performer's outcomes. But I think when you're at the lower tiers, uh, you'd be surprised at what a difference it. And, and again, not just nutrition. I mean, that's where I, I got my Ph.D., but all the lifestyle aspects, like how are you sleeping? Are you getting enough sleep? But what's the quality of the time that you have in bed? Right. How's your stress management? How's your training? How does it all play together with the food? To really um, accelerate your training and recovery, change your body composition in a positive way, allow you to be better, you know, one percent every week. That's good. Yeah, that, I like that. That one percent. All you got is that one percent every week. That little bit of improvement amounts to a whole bunch mm-hmm. of improvement over that course of time. I think people, when they approach nutrition or fitness, or whatever, set a very unrealistic goal. Shit, you know, I'm gonna. Go to the supermarket. I'm going to clear out my cabinets, get rid of everything, yep. buy everything healthy, which is going to go rotten in a week because you don't know how to prepare to cook it or eat it. And then yeah. you're going to have this ridiculous workout program. Work out one day. You beat the hell out of yourself. You can't work out. And then you're back at McDonald's by Saturday. <laughs> so, That's right. I call right. this the, the all or nothing thinking. And so my little right. my little pithy phrase that I often use is uh, when you use all or nothing thinking, you usually don't get all. You get the nothing. You know. Ah, That's good. So I like that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, the antidote is what I call always something, right? It's don't go for the perfect thing, right? Do the thing that you can always continue doing. Another way of saying it is uh, what you just said. When a lot of people try and get started with a new training program, with a new nutrition program, they plan for the perfect week. They're like, this is the plan I'll be able to follow on my perfect week. And I'm like, that's a disaster because you only have one perfect (laughs) week every 12 right? Oh, wow. You have to make a plan that's great for your worst week, 
right? Boy, and then tonight. if you have a perfect week, you can add more to it. You know, you're hanging out, you're like, oh, this isn't enough for my perfect week. Great, add more now, but make your plan the baseline that you can follow any week of the year. You know, so one of your kids gets sick, you have a minor injury or you get a cold or you're extra busy at work. That's the scenario you should be planning your training and nutrition on. And then again, if you happen not to be sick or you get home early or whatever, then you can add to it. John, I wanted to, I wanted to sort of structure this so that we sort of start with the elite level and then sort of, I guess, work it way backwards to the average Joes like Jim and I. Average Joes? What? <laughs> <laughs> average Jims. Thank you. <laughs> what? <laughs> but can we start with like sort of how you met GSP and how he sort of came into your life and what he was looking for you to do with him? Totally, yes. You know, it actually was at uh, in Las Vegas in 2009. You guys may remember he fought P BJ Penn for the second right. time. And um, I happened to be in Vegas when he, when he was down there preparing for the fight. I was visiting a friend of mine. And so uh, uh, John Chamber was his strength coach at the time. And Faraz was his longtime striking coach, MMA coach. And they had been reading my work for years. And so uh, John had texted me and he was like, hey, man, we're just down in Vegas, whatever. I'm like, I'm in Vegas, too. He's like, come, come, come meet George. Right. So uh, they had me over for a meal at their hotel. And that's when we met for the first time. And while we were there, Faraz leans over to George and uh, he says he says in, in French to him, uh, like, hey, this guy's really good. We should think about working with him. And uh, like, you know, they thought I wouldn't understand. So I was like. Hey, it's, it's, I was like, it's true. It's true. We should. Were you a bit starstruck? Were you like impressed that they were reading your book and they knew all about you? Completely. Yes. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I played sport at a, at a high level. I've worked in NFL, NBA. I tend not to be starstruck by any of those athletes at all. MMA was still, though, the one sport where I was like kind of still a fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, you know, I was like, wow. So it was amazing to get to meet George. Uh, he's, he's, he's everything you've heard about the kind of person that he is and more. He's an amazing, right. amazing dude. And, um, and I was like, yeah, I would, you know. Now, I, I know enough at this point in my career not to be desperate. You know, be like, we got to do something. Starting tomorrow. Here's a plan. You know, so right, you just kind of right. hang back and you're like, hey, listen, I'm available. I'm in Canada. You know, yeah. I'll come up and see you in Montreal if you need it, whatever the case may be. Um, and they yeah, they reached out shortly after, and uh, we worked together for you know eight years after that. Wow, that's a long long relationship. So you were able to make him obviously feel better. He appreciated, he noticed the changes right away when you were doing that. Yeah. Was it a time frame? What was he doing? Our okay. First... What was he doing wrong? How's that? Good well, question. you know, so there's, yeah, there's three things I always think about when I think about the work with George, the first reason they wanted to work together with me right. was because at the time George was starting to notice, we were all starting to notice the middleweights or sorry, the welterweights were coming in bigger than ever before. You had some of these guys who were walking around at 205, 210 in the offseason and cutting down to 170, whereas George was walking around at 180, right? So right. he's like, these are, these are big guys. They rehydrate after weigh-in, and all of a sudden they're 20 pounds heavier than me. And, right. uh, you know, <laughs> Major I'm, problem. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, you there. I mean, he has a skill advantage, but that gets nullified by some kind of weight advantage, right? Absolutely. So the the idea was, can we work together to strategically increase his body weight so that he's walking around at 190, 195 in the off season, can still cut effectively for 170, but then we could have him weighing 195 again on the night of the fight. So is that one of your specialisms, that aggressive cutting? Like McGregor seems to be a bit of a master of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I tend to know how to do that pretty well, and the weight gain side, like really good, high quality weight gain. Oh, um, I'm really good at that too. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take much. <laughs> uh, so you know, so that was it. So we worked together. So the first 16 weeks we worked together, he gained about 10 pounds of lean mass. Anyone who knows sports often rushes right into the thing. So we'll just say the elephant in the room right now. Right. They go, oh yeah, he probably started using anabolics. Juice. Yeah, yeah, right. You know? And that's not true. When you take an athlete who was chronically underfed, which gets to your question, Jim, he, he was chronically under-eating. Under-eating. He was working out at three, three gyms across the city. He'd be running from gym to gym, and he'd usually just stop at Subway or something between workouts right. to just grab a sub, you know? And that's not the worst food in the world, but here's a guy training with a super high metabolism, not eating enough calories. So you take someone chronically underfed and you just feed them the right amount, all of a sudden they're like, boop, 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 new muscles everywhere, right? That happens. Now it wouldn't happen for someone who's been well-fed all along, but for George, he was chronically underfed. So we just, we brought his calories up. We made sure his macronutrients were good. We make sure he's getting all the right vitamins and minerals and all that stuff. And then bam, all of a sudden he's 10 pounds of lean mass, heavier, uh, stronger. And, uh, and he's feeling good. He's like, training's good. I'm strong. Like I'm, I'm bullying guys who I would have had a hard time with before, you know, uh, middleweights and light heavies and, and all that. So then, then became the next challenge, which is how do you, how do you get this guy who's now bigger with quality weight to cut effectively? And, you know, George has never missed a weight cut. So we were able to get him down pretty easily. And so that's kind of been my thing. If you ask like what my specialty has been in MMA, it's weight manipulation. When George was considering coming back, uh, and when he came and fought for the uh, the wealth or the middleweight title um, with Michael Bisping, we had a separate conversation. Should he come back at lightweight? He said, "Which weight should I come back at? You know, should I come That's back at middle or light?" And I'm like, "Either way, we can do it. Like, I can get you down to lightweight easy, or we can go up to." Uh, to middleweight. It's, it's your preference. Like that's, that's not hard to do with his level of discipline because George is just an incredibly disciplined guy. Which does you know? help your job, does it not? <laughs> it really does, yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and the other thing we did, though, is try and take some of the discipline off his plate. And this is what everyone can use. I mean, not everyone maybe can afford to do it the way George did, but uh, we got to a point where we, we hired, a, I helped find and train a chef for him in Montreal um, her name's Jen Nichols. She lives in Toronto now, and she actually works at Precision Nutrition full-time. So she travels with our elite athletes and cooks for them on the road. But what she would do is prepare his meals regularly at home. And then when he would go for a fight, she would prepare the meals in the hotel room for him just to make sure weight cutting was simple and getting all his nutrients was easy. And my job was to not tell George what to eat anymore. It was to tell Jen what to cook for George. You know? Gotcha. Right. No, that's that's great. I just wanted to to sort of dive into that, I'll do a deep dive into I guess the mathematical side. Like I was told at a recent gym that my resting calorie consumption was two thousand eight hundred calories a day. So that's before I've done any exercise. So I need to make sure I, I consume that to maintain. 
if I go above that, then in theory, I'd be bulking. Yeah. But if I'm exercising, then that takes away a certain amount of calories. Yeah. And already I'm starting to feel confused. Oh, totally. And that's that's, that's doing this at an amateur level. Like, what yeah. would you be doing for a professional when you've got all the machines, computers, and gizmos? You know, this this is the interesting part because all those numbers are uh, have a large margin of error. So even if I brought you into a laboratory, which I, I did a lot of my career, I worked at universities and we did metabolic right. testing and all this stuff. Uh, if I brought you into a lab and I measured your metabolic rate, it's still plus or minus 20%. Wow, that's right? a huge miss. It's a huge, it's a huge miss. They, you you right. nailed it. So you're like, okay, cool. So the gym told you that, but it's really somewhere between 2,400 and 3,200, uh, right? Yeah. So now that could either make you stressed out or it can make you relax a little bit. Because you're like, hey, I don't have to be perfect on this. The other thing that happens is our bodies are so dynamically adjustable that if you were to eat more, your metabolism would ramp up a little bit because you're eating more. And if you eat less, it ramps down a little bit. So not only are our measurements inaccurate, but our bodies dynamically respond to what we feed them, right? So the picture gets pretty complex pretty fast. You're like, I was confused. Like, how am I going to make lunch? Uh, based on this 2,800 calorie business. Right. And I'm like, you shouldn't have to. If you're an elite athlete and you're working with me, I'll figure that out for you. Or one of our team will figure that out for you. We'll do metabolic testing. We'll figure out what your caloric needs are. We know they're erroneous. We'll give you a ballpark of calories to eat. But I'm not going to tell you how many calories to eat. I'll just tell you what food to eat. Here's bre- like We all eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, not calories. right? You don't eat protein. You eat chicken. Right. So I'm going to tell you what chicken to eat or whatever the case may be and then make it super simple. And in the case of elite athletes, again, that's the point where we don't even try and tell them that. We just say, hey, eat the food that's going to show up at your house this morning. You know, if we're sticking with elite athletes, then we start to look for um, physiological testing to figure out if there's any nutrient deficiencies that are unique to them or small leverage opportunities to add a nutrient to boost performance. Now, I always call it a needs analysis. We do a needs analysis. Needs analysis. What are, how are you training? You know, like for, for years uh, in his, uh, the, the latter part of his career, George wasn't doing strength, uh, traditional strength training very much. He was yeah. doing a lot of gymnastic stuff. Right. right? And so you're like, okay, now, that, now that's changed an element. Like uh, an element of the kind of damage that our muscles are exposed to is actually greater because in gymnastics, he was doing a lot of eccentric, so lengthening type movements. And those actually cause a lot of muscle damage, whereas weight training is a lot of concentric movements and it doesn't cause as much damage. So again, you start looking at this needs analysis going, okay, he's going to need something more to promote muscle recovery. So maybe we throw in a amino acid drink during and after his workout um, to help stimulate protein synthesis and regrowth. So it's that kind of thing that we do with an elite athlete. We just look for weak links uh, in, the, in the chain of performance. And then we add the things that we need there. And there's no, unfortunately, no blanket recommendation for everyone. Of course not. You know, but that's how we treat an elite athlete. We get the calories in the right range. We try and figure out how we can get that food in their body as simply as possible. So I don't, you know, I I want George to be thinking about uh, training and competition, not nutrition. If he's got any of his brain space devoted to that, uh, it's a distraction from what's most important. So how can we make that so easy for elite athletes that it's just the nutrition right. happens well and it's magic? Right, right. I've read your, your entire website and all this stuff. And one of the things you were pointing out, there's not like, as you were just saying out, there's not a one size fits all. There's no cookie cutter way 
of making this happen. That's right. At the elite level, anyway. You know, I, I think there's some blanket recommendations that the average oh, person of course, can, yes. can follow, you know, to right. be a, a little bit better. Yeah, but at the elite level, like you guys said, I mean, I start working with George when he's already welterweight champion. When he already looks incredible, you know, his body is almost ideally adapted to his weight class and sport, you know. So at this point, we're looking for marginal gains, not major, you know, overhauls. Right, right. No, that's interesting you said. Now, look, I'm not nutrition, but I do train a couple ex-world champion kickboxers and boxers. And guys are trying to make, you know, whatever level of comeback. Now, these guys have been fighting for 30 years, you know, since they were little kids. Um, yeah. What more can I bring to the table? And it's those little changes, those minute changes that might elevate them just enough to yeah. bring them back to that status. That's rather interesting that you said that because I was, you know, as I'm working with them, I'm going, hmm, what, what can I reteach them a jab? No, they've done it totally. a million times. Right. I don't so know I if you guys, I don't know if you guys have read the stories uh, about British cycling and um, and the the turnaround that they had in the last decade. But for a hundred years, basically, British cycling had not won any major events. No, no Tour de France victories, no uh, Olympic medals, no World Championships, essentially. And they brought in they brought in a new high performance director whose whole philosophy is what we're talking about here, this theory of marginal gains. So right. what he did was just look at everything. So he's like, okay, let's start with the bikes. You know, is there a one percent we can get on the bike? Let's start with the uh, the racing suits. Is there one percent we can get there? And in the over the course of a decade, they've won something like a hundred titles and. Uh, they wow. they had several Tour de France winners, and so you look at um, how this philosophy plays out in practice, which is leave no stone unturned for a small marginal gain. It tends to pay off if the whole system is bought into it. The athletes, the coaches, everyone. I absolutely agree, one hundred percent. That's really pretty fascinating. I want to read up on that. Right, when people get to that certain level, that's all you can do is those little marginal gains. That's so important mm -hmm. to remember that. It's not reinventing the wheel. Just find those little holes in your game. But you see it in every be, right? sport. People do the you opposite, do. right? You see it in right. fighting all the time. Uh, I'm going to turf my whole coaching staff, you know, uh, right. turf everything, right? And start from scratch. And it's like, well, but yeah, starting from scratch is bad. You're, you're already at the elite level. Don't start right, from right. scratch. Yeah, that means like everything's gone wrong for you to, yeah. you know. Right, right. Are there any other major athletes, celebrities that we don't kind of all want to know that you'd worked with? That's that's me celebrity spotting. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're <laughs> I, we we always try and be a little bit discreet and like I just don't want to come off boastful. But you know, we've had some great we've had some great athletes and teams over the last few years. We work with the Spurs through all their championship right. years. Uh, uh, Sloane Stevens is another athlete of ours who we've had a lot of success with recently. You know, she won the U.S. Open uh, last year. Yep. Uh, she she was ranked uh, 400 in the 400s and then came in and won the U.S. Open and has been wow. top ranked uh, ever since. And she's just another interesting example where she had a bunch of actually physiological health things going on. And, you know, we sent Jen, same chef who used to travel with George, out with Sloan, cooked for her on the road, cooked for her in camps, and uh, turned her performance, her body comp, even her mental outlook around. And uh, so that's been another huge success story. And then again, just, you know, Olympians and uh, sports teams and uh, at the NFL, NBA, It's it's been a, been a fun run. But I have to be totally honest, you know, I... Uh, have been training a team to do this for the last few years. So it's my team who's doing a lot of the heavy lifting now on some of this, right. you know, 
actually probably nowadays the only person I would work with is George if he had another comeback or something because I got a great team to work with everyone else and, and that, I just have great. that relationship with George. Going back, precision nutrition. How did you come up with that idea? So you're doing all this self-study stuff and improving, going to college for all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, you know, do you come up with this diet? Was this like a in a moment, hey, let's do this, or was it? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was a master's student, then a PhD student. I started to get really well known for the the work that I was doing, the research, sort of translating it into practical recommendations. I mean, I had one day a week where I would just sit buried in the stacks at the library where I did my graduate work, which is just aisle after aisle of bound research journals. And I'm like mining through them, looking for interesting things that I could use to help with my own performance or the people I work with. And I got a reputation for that. So I started getting called by Olympic teams and professional teams to help with consulting. And, uh, and then, but, but I mean, that's not a, that does not a career make, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a little money here and there or whatever. And I was broke student. So I was like, Hey, can we take some of these lessons and translate them into what uh, any person could use. So we started yeah. doing information products. So we, we first, we published a cookbook, like a healthy eating cookbook that used the kind of philosophies we use with athletes for regular exercising people. Then we came up with the precision nutrition system it was like a do it yourself guide to doing this. But what we realized is what everyone eventually realizes about information products. They don't really change lives. You know, no. a book <laughs> rarely changes a life. You rarely. Know? Um, and, and the best example, and it's a little bit contrived, would be like, uh, you know, could you become an expert uh, kickboxer by reading books about kickboxing? Of no, not. of course not, not right? Not. Of course not. So then how will you become an expert at healthy eating by just reading books on it? I mean, it's equally absurd, but no one thinks about it in the You're same way. You're correct. Terms. I got to tell you, I've never thought about that. Right, so, I, right. Because I would say that in our field of what we do, I would say absolutely, and it never occurred to me. Quite honestly, as ridiculous yeah. as that sounds. Yeah. And I talk about it with the guitar. Hey, man, I've read eighteen guitar books. Okay, great. Play me a song. Uh, uh you know. So the <laughs> yeah, the 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 idea here is, you know, how can we create a program that walks people through curriculum? Because when you if you work with a beginner athlete, right, you have a curriculum for them. It might not be what looks like a college curriculum, you know, with a syllabus and everything, but you know, there's fundamental movement patterns and fundamental skills they have to develop in a specific order. And you go based on the progression that they're making, add skills slowly until eventually they become a beginner and then maybe intermediate and then maybe expert and it takes a long time. And, you know, you know, that's what it's a curriculum, you know, and it's what's interesting in Olympic sport, they do it all the time. You know, my wife is a elite level figure skating coach and um, she like Skate Canada has a long term athlete development model that's printed and readily accessible. It takes a four year old to the Olympics on paper. You know, it's like yeah. here's the skills they should develop from four till 14 to compete at the highest level. OK, so there's a curriculum in all these places. You want to get a business degree. There's a curriculum. You want to be a. Great kickboxer, curriculum. Great guitar player, curriculum. Yet when it comes to nutrition, someone's like, give me the diet and let me go, right? So I'm like, what if we create a curriculum for that? A progressive, periodized nutrition program that builds skills, which lead to habits, which lead to a long-term mastery of eating healthy. So that that's became what Precision Nutrition was 
Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Had no one ever thought of that before in the history of mankind? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, that's I mean, pretty, it seems so obvious now that you're bringing this up. But has anyone made any sort of an attempt at even a, a sub superficial level at this in the past? Or are you kind of the I first? I don't think so. I think, it, I think the reason was it's a, it's a, it's a difficult and costly thing oh to do. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine the shit you had to go through to come up with this. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, the, only, and the only way we could fund it was by coaching online. Like in other words, scaling by having enough people testing and going through curriculum to figure out how to make it good, you know. And I mean, we're one of the first companies in the world that did online coaching. So in 2005, you know, which 13 years ago, um, you, you, if you wanted a coach, you had to find someone in your town, you know. But we launched a program where, hey, this Dr. Berardi guy that everyone's talking about, and I heard works with this Olympic team and that professional team, I, he could actually be my coach. Right. And, and I live in Australia, or I live in Germany, or I live in New Jersey, whatever. And uh, so it, it became a really cool uh, way to fund and scale the idea of a curriculum in nutrition. You know, we can right. work. I mean, to date, we, we've worked with 200,000 people now. So we're more than in the world. Right. You know, so without online coaching, I don't think it could have been possible uh, to invest in this kind of a thing. So I think probably people have thought about it, but but no one had the, the wherewithal to do it. They didn't have enough clients and they didn't have enough money, right. money to, you know. Sure, sure. It's a big. Did you, were you ever overwhelmed while you were doing this? <laughs> every, sure. every day. Every you know? day. <laughs> um, I know, well, we have an amazing team. You know, PN has 120 full-time team members now, so uh, the overwhelm is shared among plenty of people now. That's great. That's great. So now, Tom, were you going to say something, buddy? I'd just like John to sort of walk us through the process a little bit. Yeah. I, well, you had. I mean, you gave the great, the great uh, story at the beginning, which your roommate Mike, who who I met on the the shoot, like we did that app for GSP called TouchFit back in the day, and uh, I we met on the shoot. And then he followed up after, and so I, I put him through the program. And the idea is, you know, we start off, rather than telling you what to eat, we give you practices to do, right? So the first thing that I think everyone who wants to start a healthy eating project, if you want to call it that, has to do is they have to become aware of what they're eating now, right? Without any awareness, you're not going to get this, right? Right. I mean, I could give you a diet and you can pretend that you're going to follow it for the rest of your life, but you'll follow it for seven to 14 days. So well, that's pretty do? pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> even the best of us, right? Right. So even pro athletes, even people paid to follow that diet will only do it that long. <laughs> so there's no hope for you if you just there's try no that. There's no hope for you, Tom. You, know? you hear that? He's talking <laughs> So here's what we do. We want to raise your awareness about what you're eating. And the two easiest ways to do that are mindfulness practices. One is to what we call eat slowly, right? So every day, a little app pops up and reminds you, to eat slowly with each of your meals, right? Now, what does eating slowly do? It sounds a little woo-woo or whatever, but uh, the truth is it asks you to slow down. And when you slow down, you pay attention. You notice the foods that you're eating, you notice how long it takes you to eat, and you notice how they taste, and you notice all kinds of things you wouldn't have noticed before. Now, again, this is only the first week or two, right. so you don't have to do this forever. Like, we'll get to the protein later, don't worry, you know? Right. But now it's slow down your eating, and then the next thing we do, once you're tuned in to your hunger signals, which is what slowing down allows you to do. If you eat too fast, you never get the signals. It takes too long. It takes about 15 minutes from when you eat for your stomach to communicate to your brain that you're full or satisfied or whatever. Right. 
And I could eat a lot of extra food in that 15 Oh, minutes. no shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know I, mean? so, I try to get it done in 14 and a half minutes. <laughs> Whatever so it is. The idea is, you know, I want, to, I want to cue in to how full do I feel, and that takes slowing down. And then the next practice would be something like eat till satisfied instead of stuffed. We call it 80% full. I got right? So we teach you what satisfied feels like. We teach you what stuffed feels like. We teach you what still hungry feels like. And right. then what you got to figure out is – satisfied. And then a lot of people go, man, I was eating those stuffed every meal. Well, that can't be good. So now we haven't even changed what you've eaten yet, but now right. you've really super tuned in to what's full, what's good, what's not good uh, right. in terms of how you feel. And then we start building upon those skills because without those skills, you'll never be able to follow anything long-term. So then we start looking into your protein and your carbs and fats. And again, it's just like playing guitar or martial arts or it's build skills and how do you build skills through practices, right? You don't, you don't build a movement skill unless you practice it over and over daily, right? right? So let's practice skills that or practice practices that build skills and that skill development is the only way you reach your goal. You want to win a world championship? Well, you got to practice things that build the skills that world champions have. And right. the same thing is true with nutrition. If you want to eat well, you have to practice skill, uh, practices that build skills that lead to that goal. And so what precision nutrition coaching does, and again, this isn't what we do with our elite, elite athletes. Right? No, they they you, get sure. all the testing and all that. But for people who are recreational athletes or just want to look and feel better, this process, it's a year-long process. There's a new practice every week or two. You know, mm. we chunk those out into the skills you're building. And by the end, like you said, you have this, this roommate who maybe uh, would have never gotten in shape any other way is able to do this thing and is kind of a transformed person, but it didn't take over their whole life. Yeah. You know, It wasn't so hard at any particular moment that it, there was a straw that broke the camel's back and you had to either quit your job so you can do this eating well thing or you had to quit the eating right. well thing. You know, uh, It right. was just a little bit of enough. All, it's always something versus all or nothing, right? And again, you know, uh, we've we've had 200,000 people go through this, so it's proven, right. it's validated, we have research no studies published, but it's not for everyone. I mean, people who come in and they're in a big hurry, uh, yeah, answer this question for me, Jim. People who come into the gym as beginners and they're in a big hurry to be experts, how well right. do they do? Not very, not very good. <laughs> that's, that's right. Very there's, quick turnaround. There's an old Zen poem where this, uh, this uh, student, his dad was a great swordsman and he went to this master to learn to be a, you, you know this one, right? And uh, and so uh, he comes in, he's like, I'm so passionate, I'm enthusiastic, I wanna be a great swordsman, just like my father, teach me what I need to do. And he's like, okay, great. And uh, actually, I don't think you'll be a good student. I don't think you'll ever become a master. And he's like, what, what do you mean? You'll do anything you say. He's like, okay, for you, 10 years, you'll be a master in 10 years. He's like, no, 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 but you don't understand. I'm motivated, I'll do more, it'll go faster. He's like, ah, I think it's going to take 15 years now, right? And so they do this little negotiation game. He's like, I don't understand. I'm telling you how committed I am, and you're telling me longer each time. And his, his punchline is, you know, uh, a person in such a hurry seldom gets good results. Yeah, yeah. And it's true of everything. It's true of everything, right? But we, it really we, is. And we know it in some areas of our lives, but then we'll translate it to another area and totally forget it, right? And nutrition's the one. People are like, this is too slow. We need to go faster. And that's what I, right. I tell them. I'm like, a person in such a hurry seldom gets good results. 
So this is helpful with the bruises and nutrition. And obviously, it's a whole, for lack of a better term, it's a whole lifestyle change. You know, it's a slow progression. It's attainable goals. That all matters in the success of the, this program. That's why I guess precision nutrition is uh, pretty successful for people, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's you know, it's 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 an ongoing thing. I think you like you said, it's people want that result way too quick. It's never going to happen. But you know, what can that that guy where would with precision nutrition they start off is that what someone should go with right away should they start with other t- things prior to going to a big program that little diet changes habit changes? i know you're big into all that yeah you know? i usually look at the person and i ask them how many times have you tried this before how successful have you been right. with this you know i mean if if this is one of your first few times and you um feel like you could successfully sort of build out a curriculum for yourself like what we're talking about here a series of practices that lead to skills you know, give it a shot. Most of the people we end up interacting with have tried this a bunch of times before and it hasn't worked. And it hasn't worked either means they only followed it for a short period of time so they could never see any outcome or they actually achieved the outcome in a totally unsustainable way. So 12 weeks, crashed down, lost the 30 pounds and then gained 40 pounds back for their troubles. Those are the kind of people who often come to us and they're like, hey, maybe this will be my last kick at this before I give up for life. Right. You know, this is so different and I understand they keep telling me I have to be patient and I don't want to, but uh, I've tried the not patient thing. So usually those are the kind of people who have a, a lot of great success for people who, uh, you know, and I mean, it's, it's, it's not a free program, right? It, it costs somewhere between 49 and 99 bucks a month to work with us in this capacity. Uh, but there's stuff you can do before that. There's stuff that you can do cheap and free. You know, for people who don't have a lot of money, we just publish an infographic on our website, yeah, which all- is all about eating healthy on a budget, right? So how can you do this with just a couple bucks a meal? Uh, Organic chicken and artisanal sourdough bread, like not everyone's got the the wallet for that, right? Uh, And that's not required to be healthy. There's small changes you can make. I mean, what most people need to work on doing, whether they can or not, or whether they need help for it or not, is just move towards less processing in the foods that they choose, right? So if you're gonna eat a protein source, how close is it to how it originally was, you know, running across a field somewhere. If you're going to eat a a carb source, how close is it to what it was when it grew in the ground? The vegetable, fruit, the same. Uh, I love this old story about slow slippage, right? So the story is, you know, you start out eating healthy and you're like, okay, I'm going to eat a uh, a chicken breast and a baked potato. That's my that's my healthy meal. Chicken breast, baked potato. And after two weeks, you get a little bored of that, and you're like, oh, you know what? Instead of the baked potato, I'm going to have baked fries because that's pretty much the same thing. Right? It's a potato. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, okay, I'm kind of bored with that, so uh, I'm going to switch to extra lean ground beef. So I'm going to have a burger, right? So now it went from chicken breast and baked potato to a, a lean burger and baked fries. And then one day you run out of baked fries and you just get regular French fries, but you still got the lean burger. And then just uh, one day you end up at McDonald's eating a McDonald's hamburger and McDonald's French fries. And you don't realize how it happened, right? You're like, it is a slippery slope. Slippery, just one small thing that doesn't feel that like much. So and that's what a lot of our lives are, right? For most right. of the people who tell me they're eating a great diet, they think they're still eating chicken breast and baked potato, but yeah. they're really eating the hamburger and fries and they, it just hasn't clued in yet. And right. so getting that awareness right? Paying attention, right? Doing some practices to pay attention. Cause every, you know, mindfulness is big. Now you guys hear this everywhere. Pay attention to your life. People finger away, right? How do you do it is the question. That's what we try to unpack. One is by slowing down your meals, right? That's how you pay attention. You know, you tune into hunger cues. So that's what I'd say for a lot of people who maybe aren't ready to get a coach or whatever. It's 
look at your, I mean, I have all over my office here, notebooks. And so I have notebooks for everything that I'm doing. So I want to learn a new skill. I got a notebook for it. Want to eat a particular way. I got a notebook for that. I got a notebook for work. I'd say, get a little notebook and then just write down what you're eating over the next few days. Don't, you don't have to analyze it. You don't have to figure out your calories. All that gets annoying. It's math and whatever. Right. Just write down what you're eating so that you can see, like you can, in a moment of sober clarity, you look at your day and go, wow, that's not quite as healthy as I've been telling everyone that I've been doing. And I can already see room for improvement. Okay, cool. So, you know, hey, maybe I'll I'll switch those McDonald's fries for the baked fries. And you start going up the the slope instead of downing. You know what I mean? And that's that's a way to begin because I think most people get it. You know, eating fewer processed foods doesn't matter if you go vegan or paleo or whatever. Uh, Both of them are fewer processed foods. So start getting some of the processing out, some of the whole natural foods in. Try eating till satisfied instead of stuffed. And if most people did those two things, not every day, because you better believe I'm going to be having pizza sometimes. Right. You know sure. what I mean? Sure, but okay to do. more of the time, that alone would bring you into that place where you feel like, oh, man, I'm making some progress. This is good. And then, of course, there's the exercise component. Same. You don't have to start with a program, but how about a walk? Uh, maybe a strength training session on machines to begin with. Who cares? Some movement in because I really feel like movement is a regulator of appetite. And if you're not moving, then your body doesn't find a way to balance hunger with how much you eat. But when you do start moving, it finds that sink up again. And then you start eating according to hunger rather than just the rest of the things. I remember a big one for Mike was if you fall off the wagon to get back on it rather what most people do is, you know, you have a drink. So you're like, oh, I might as well get pizza on the way home. The next That's morning, right. you're like, well, I'll get a full English <laughs> breakfast. And it's like, you've suddenly lost 48 hours when all because you had a couple of beers. That's right. Yeah, we call it clean, cleaning the slate. So we're just like, oh, hey, you did a thing that you weren't expecting or that uh, you feel embarrassed about. Just clean, wipe the slate clean. Start over the next day. I got an interesting, well, I don't know if it's an interesting question, but I've had this experience. Well, my diet has been perfect. Tom and I were talking, you know, everything. Yeah, Working out, textbook. The weight staying the same. So I'm not worried about my, my weight necessarily, but but then like Tom says, you go off the wagon, you know, you, you have a couple of pizzas over the weekend, drink beers, do everything 100% wrong and you drop weight. What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, weight is, is, uh, we think weight means fat, it right? That's what most people think. Right. Weight means fat, but it doesn't. I mean, fat can only accumulate over many, many days, right? When, when you see what we call those transients so short lived weight changes, it's water shifts. So, I, I mean, I, let's tie this back to MMA. We published a free book online for anyone who's interested in this kind of stuff called Bigger, Smaller, Bigger. I don't know if you guys saw this, but, uh, but this was taken like right out of the page of sort of the GSP work, right? I have a, a team member who works for PN uh, who's a self-experimenter like me. Uh, he's got a black belt in Taekwondo. He's been a martial artist for a long time. And so he was really interested, like, could he manipulate his weight as easily as someone like GSP does? So Bigger, Smaller, Bigger was a project where I helped him over the course of 12 weeks gain 20 pounds of lean mass, wow. then lose it all to make weight as if he was going to do a fight, and then gain it so over five days, and then gain it all back in 24 hours. So we successfully accomplished it. So 12 weeks, 20-pound gain. Five days, 20 pound loss, one day, 25 pound or 20 pound regain. 
right? Wow. And we did something that you don't get to do in uh, wrestling or martial arts. Uh, we did performance testing at each interval. What's really super cool about that is, you know, you help an athlete cut weight or whatever. Right. Uh, and they feel like that, right? But Every you're like, time. how much worse are they performing when they're at their bottom there, if they had to perform? And then how much of that performance that they had before they started cutting, you know, at the peak of camp, do they get back when they rehydrate? That's an interesting question, right? Because you're like, hey, did we just kill 20% of the gains of camp by cutting weight and then rehydrating? So that's what we measured. We had him do anaerobic, aerobic tests, vertical jump, bench press, uh, treadmill run to, for time. And we looked at that at each interval. And so it was, it's fascinating. So for, just Google bigger, smaller, bigger, and oh, you well, can read all about it for free. But when he loses 20 pounds in five days, it's not fat. It's all water. When he gains right. it all back in one day, that's nothing. It's water, right? So that's right. what happens. You know, you have a weekend where you drink a bunch of beers. Well, beers have a diuretic effect, right? right. It makes you pee more than usual. You'll need to be a scientist <laughs> to know that, right? No, sure. That's why I drink whiskey sometimes. There you go. <laughs> so you're like, I could, I could help you lose 10 pounds easy overnight. Easy. That'd be no problem. But it's not good weight that you lost. And it's the exactly. 10 pounds that's going to come right back when right. you uh, have water the next day. So that's why uh, I think using the scale as a uh, measure of how, the goodness or badness of you, how you've been, is uh, is problematic. It's why when we use data, like in our PN coaching program, for example, we used what we call like a smoothed average, right? So it's many weigh-ins over time smoothed out because there's always little fluctuations and spikes. Sure. And you Absolutely. look at the trend. Uh, I think of it as weather versus climate. What you weigh on a given day is the weather. Great way to put it. The way Great. you're trending is the climate. So that's how that's how we think about, it. and that's that's what explains that, you know. And there, you see all kinds of interesting things like this happen. And again, it's one of the reasons why coach is valuable without trying to oversell what we do. You all know, right. uh, it's it's hard being in the weeds. I mean, it's it's if if you were coaching yourself in MMA, for example, um, and you had a loss, you might think about just never competing again, you know. But if you had a coach, they could talk you through what a loss actually means. Yeah. And whether you should compete again or not, sometimes the answer is don't compete again. You know, right, other times it's certainly not that, you know. On, on right, that right. note, I'd like to get your opinion on, you're the elite level of nutrition, but nutrition is something like everyone eats. So right. in a way, everyone thinks they're a bit of an expert. Everyone's read some stuff on some diets. We all know what paleo sure, yeah. is. We all know what Atkins is. We all know what veganism is, et cetera, et cetera. Do you find sometimes that people don't place enough value on stuff? Because... You know, nutrition plays such a role in getting you that six pack. But sometimes people are like, well, I'm not paying $50 a month kind of thing. How, right. do, how do you combat that? Sure. Well, I don't think there's a need to combat it at all. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, liberal about these kind of things. Like if someone wants a coach, we're available. If not, they, then that's fine, too. You know, uh, we have free resources on our website for the people who don't want to pay $50 a month. And for those <laughs> who that doesn't work for, you know, I mean, we publish a thousand free articles on our website and we have like 15 free courses right now. So uh, that's for all those people who are at that early stage or who don't. I mean, uh, to be fair, some people don't have the money for it and others are being, you know, maybe obstinate about it and, or something in between. Right. And, and you do make a good point. I think everyone sort of has an opinion. Uh, and that's why people say uh, nutrition's become like politics or religion, right? 
everyone is allowed to have an opinion on them. Not everyone's qualified to have an opinion, but everyone's allowed to. That's a good that's way to fine, put it, right? You know, right. so I mean, we're we're an I and PN is in a lucky position where if people are ready and they want to, we're available and they know about us, right? So they can come see us when when the time comes for that. And if they're not ready yet, that's fine. And if they have, if they think we're idiots, which some people do, you know, I mean, I I post on Facebook regularly, and uh, people come in and be like, "This guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about." I mean, how do you deal with other than the regular idiot, the naysayer? Has anyone tried to call you out? And- talk shit about you have you, have oh, you yeah. had to deal with that or you just dismiss it yeah screw it yeah the whole, my whole career. career yeah my whole right. career and there are probably points in my early career where i was an idiot it's probably a well-justified criticism right, you know right. what i mean but uh but now i've gotten to the point where i'm like all right i'm pretty open-minded guy i, I rarely make de- definitive assertions because we know right. that science teaches us things every day as does experience so for me i, I let all that stuff slide i'm like that's yeah, fine you know i mean there's a thing that, uh, you know, myself and my business partner, Phil, helped a guy named Ray Dalio, who's uh, one of the top 10 wealthiest people in the world with a book he just put out called Principles. And uh, in Principles, he talks about this concept called believability, right? So the idea is if you want to get advice from someone, you should get it from someone believable. What is believable? Believable means that the person has done the thing that you're trying to do before. Number two is that they've done it multiple times in different conditions. And then number three is what they're telling you makes sense to you. uh, So it's implementable in your situation. And uh, and those are the people whose opinions you should weight highly. So when it comes to nutrition, I mean, people can say whatever they want, but I'm kind of believable. You know, I've done this. I have all the credentials. I've uh, practically and academically, I've worked with more people than anyone in the world. So I'm like, all right, you can discount my opinion for sure. And I could see why people might go a different direction at certain times. But you can't say I'm not believable. You know, that's that's that ship has sailed, you know? So <laughs> it, it yeah. makes me feel fine when Yeah, you know, right. It doesn't know? matter. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Why are you gonna waste your energy on that anyway? You that's know, right. Your time and effort, you know, for God's sake, you've proven it over and over again. What is next for you now? You've grown this, you've got a new book we'll talk about gonna come out. So what's the next after the book? Is there another big project or something that you're gonna be working on or something that you haven't done that you're eyeballing or thinking about in one of your notebooks yeah a couple exciting a couple exciting things in in my life right now so number one is about two years ago precision nutrition i mean what what we've done is what we talked a lot about coached you know coached a lot of people and after a few years of doing that a lot of professionals so personal trainers nutritionists chiropractors natural medicine people you know integrative functional medicine docs uh yoga teachers were all like how do i do what you do like, how do I do that with my clients and patients? So we launched an education program called the Precision Nutrition Certification. And right. so that that went gangbusters. I mean, we've had 100,000 students go through that now. And wow. two years ago, you know, people were, were asking like, okay, cool. So you have this coaching program, which is online, and there's great technology around that. And then you teach us your coaching model. Uh, can we use your tools? So we launched something called ProCoach which is a way for professionals to use our tools and curriculum with them as the coach, right? So they can essentially license the technology from us and use it with their clients and and patients. So that's been a huge thing that we're still building out that's gone extremely well that I'm very excited about because it's an amplifier, right? Like we, um, up until 2016, when we launched ProCoach, had coached about 100,000 people. From 2016 to 2017, 
our coaches using our technology coach another hundred thousand. So it took 10 wow. years to get the first hundred and then one more year to get another hundred. So I feel like we're at this point where we can have a pretty big impact on people's yeah. lives out there, you know? And then for me, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of overseeing the business as, as we talk about, I mean, we've got a lot of team members now and doing right. a lot of interesting things. And then just, uh, I'm at the point in my career where I want to share, you know, I want to, uh, write about the stuff that I've learned and, and hopefully inspire the next generation of people coming up to do good work and sort of take this little bit of learning that we've done and amplify it and do better sure. and you know make make an impact whether it's on elite sports like we do in a small capacity or whether it's with health and, and fitness and wellness on a, a global scale. Now, when you're doing all this stuff in a day, I want to go touch on this. I want to, you know, do you have a, like a routine and a preparation that you do? I mean, because obviously it's more than the nutrition. You seem to be making a lot of right decisions to be happy, successful kind of guy. Are you, do you do a lot of reading on, on different subjects? Well, so, uh, awareness, whatever it might be, you know? Uh, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, we have my, my wife, Amanda, and I have four children. And so wow. a lot of our life revolves around, you know, this balance between being a family and, and, so one of the huge advantages I have is I work from home. So where I'm talking to you from is my yeah. home office, and that's where I go to work. And um, so I don't have commute, and I don't have that kind of barrier. But, I mean, I structure my days and weeks in, in particular ways to be efficient. So a day is wake up, help feed the family, get them off to school, and then I have till about 3 or 3.30 uh, to finish my work for the day because then I'm going to pick them up at school. Right. And then we have programs and spend the whole evening together till bedtime. And when they go to bed, I go work out. So that's my day. So basically, and this has been one of the most impactful, interesting things for me, is having a family and being really committed to being done at 3.30 every day forced me to get great at prioritization and yeah, essentially yeah. make sure I can get done only the important things between 8.30 and 3 each day. I don't have any extra time. Can't expand. I don't work on the weekends. I don't work in the evenings. So I can, uh, when I was younger, I violated all those rules. Of you know course. what I mean? It's like, I'll I'm work all the time. violating them every day. Around the clock, you know? But, uh, but it just became, I, I can't do that anymore. I have a real external constraint. So I'm just going to spend Monday figuring out, the first half of Monday, figuring out what's important for the week. Only do these things. Do not do these things, right? <laughs> How do you st how do you control that? That is so foreign to me. I gotta tell you, <laughs> I'm doing everything wrong. I try that. Lord, God is my witness. And then I, I fail miserably. <laughs> how do you stop that urge? You just haven't been able to shut that off, huh? Two things, right? Oh. Uh, I, I have the skill and you don't yet. And <laughs> yeah. when you don't have the skill, you're bad at anything. Right? It's just like everything else, nutrition and fighting and whatever. You don't have the skill, then, then you're bad. Uh, I've been practicing it for bunch of years. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I've gotten really good at saying no to things. So when things come up, because a lot of the times you get kicked off your plan by people asking for things and you don't want to say no. So right. I found a really nice, graceful, gracious, grateful way of saying thank you for the opportunity, but I can't do it because I've already essentially determined what I ought to be doing. So it's, it's um, loads of practice and getting really good at knowing what to say yes to and then saying no when you have to say no. And then again, a team, like I got 120 people around me, right? So it's not all me. It's not just me. So Monday is usually half day prioritization and launch on the biggest things. Uh, Tuesday is like a creation day. Like if I have to create something or whatever, Wednesdays and Thursdays are meeting days. And then Fridays are what I call thinking days. Uh, so that's where I read books, 
brainstorm ideas, sit quietly and try and solve problems. So <laughs> Monday's like a planning, Tuesday's creation, Wednesday, Thursday are meetings and Fridays are like free day for coming up with new ideas and, and learning stuff. And that's kind of how I govern most right. of my weeks. Now I'm not perfect. You know what I mean? Some things come up sometimes when the kids right. is sick and I gotta, we gotta go pick them up and then they're home all day and they right. sit in my lap all work. So stuff comes up all the time, of course. but again, it's not all or nothing, right? It's always something. If I'm always doing some part of what I just described to you, then I'm better than none of it. On your diet, do you have a specific, you know, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables and all, all the non-processed stuff that's generally yeah. how, what you follow? I mean, What's interesting is you hit me at a really interesting time because I was recently diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Um, wow. So basically, yeah. I am right now trying to figure out if there's a specific food that's triggering it or if it's an environmental thing. So I'm following like the worst... I mean, it's not, it's very healthy, you know, but it's a, called an autoimmune protocol where essentially, and this isn't just for anyone, it's for people with autoimmune diseases as a maybe thing to try, but it's, it's basically, you can eat uh, proteins, you know, except for eggs. So basically animal proteins, vegetables, but except nightshades, which are like tomatoes and potatoes. And so there's a bunch of veggies, vegetables you can have, and then some fruits. So basically my meal, I've been posting about it on Facebook lately and showing every meal that I eat to show people okay. kind of how to do this. But so right now mine is is that. It's basically a big whack of vegetables in some form. Like usually I'll do like a mashed cauliflower, mashed broccoli or mashed Brussels sprouts. I'll have like a big piece of fish or a piece of steak or chicken or whatever. And then I'll have something like sauteed carrots and zucchini and whatever, and then some kind of fruit for dessert. And so that's what I'm having right now. And the, the, why it's difficult is you basically have to do that for like a month and right. then start introducing food. So I'm like super pissed that I can't have like a slice of toast with breakfast, right. which I used to have <laughs> a piece of pizza on Friday night, like I used to have yeah. um, right now. But I mean, my diet was generally kind of what I described previously. But for example, I'd have dessert five nights a week after dinner. On the weekends, maybe we grab a pizza. So it was mostly high quality protein source, vegetable, or a lot of vegetables, plus whatever, you know, throw in a baked potato or baked fries or have a dessert. Uh, so it was close, but right now it's super tight. You know, it's super like not have many of the things that most people would even consider healthy. So what, what my goal has been for years is to not stress about diet, you know, to just have a, a whole bunch of good options in my house, eat most of my meals here, and then we're good. You know, I don't have to think about it, worry about it, count things. I figure uh, we have this hand-based eating model, which is a, a portion of protein is the thickness and diameter of your palm. Right. Generally, guys who are very active get two of those a meal, right? So it's super easy. You're just like, hey, right. that's two uh, lean beef patties or whatever, you know, and then vegetables is a fist and guys get two or three of those a meal, you know, and then if you have starches, it's a cup full and you get one or two of those. You know, and that could be potato or rice or whatever. And that's, it's, it's that simple. And you just do that each meal and then you don't have to count up all the things. And so we have an infographic about that on our site, which makes it super easy. You can print it out, stick it on your fridge and you're like, Hey, this is how I get my portions each day. And we have the same for women. And then you adjust from there based on how your body responds. Wow. So the idea is always to make it super easy, not have a whole bunch of foods off limits. Again, unless you have a disease or something that needs to be wow. treated and, uh, and stop thinking so much about food or obsessing over it. Like get back to your life, have 
the other parts of life that make it healthy. So right. meaningful relationships, quality time with loved ones, good enough sleep, you know, stress management, go for a walk in the woods. You know, all the things that we know contribute to health independent of the eating. So take a little bit of time think away from thinking about food and invest it in these other areas that we know are robust explanations for longevity and health. This all takes me back to when I used to live with Mike because I remember him going through, I remember those rules and things like that. Because I, ah, you know, I was, ah. was kind of learning all this secondhand from him. Um, well, that's it. Like you know, that's, program. that's why I'm always like, okay, we'll do this interview. We'll talk about food. But then I'm going to keep steering us back to uh, stress management and sleep and meaningful relationships because none of it works without that. You know, you could eat right. the best diet and have loads of stress in your life and no social support and not sleep enough. And there's no way your food's going to overcome that. No way. John, I wanted to ask you one kind of final question to kind of wrap yeah. us up. I'm, I'm conscious we're, we're probably eating into your time now. Anyone who really is committed to this, they, you know, they should join your program, you know, and you can get them to a point where they're going to, you know, have that six pack that maybe they all dreamed of. For guys that maybe don't have the time, don't have the money right now, or want to make some small steps, are there, are there any sort of like golden rules that you could just kind of like wrap up the show with of like, you know, if you follow these five things, it's certainly going to put you in a much better place than, than where you started. Yeah, totally. So I have two answers to that. One is uh, we'll talk about a couple of like strategies, right? And the second is we just published a free course on this, the body transformation course for men. It's totally free. You put in your email, we send you tips and uh, information and strategies every single day. So we'll do better than we can in the next minute or so. But nevertheless, you know, uh, number one is I think you have to start with exercise. And that's not a program. It's just movement. Like, Get out that journal, that notebook I told you about. Write down how much exercise you do this week. Look at it and say, hey, is this enough? Am I, really, am I really doing what I think is required here to move my body and, and keep it healthy? Uh, for some people, the answer will be yes. I'm getting three hours a week of exercise, four hours a week of exercise. That's plenty. Uh, if it's less than that, look for ways to build it in. Then start thinking about your food, right? Now that you've got that movement thing handled, thing I've done for years on movement is try and keep it as close to home as possible. You know, we build a little gym in our garage. Uh, you don't even need that, right? You remember when the P90X was popular and everyone was doing oh, yeah, that in sure. the living room or whatever? You know, right. anything. Keep it close to home. The idea of having to join a gym and go to the gym and the drive there and the drive back and the shower, it makes, it makes the, the prep and recovery from the gym worse than the gym time itself well, that's right? like, so, except for primal gym they can join primal gym. there you go that's perfect <laughs> yeah. and then uh, i had to and, cover my ass <laughs> plug it plug it and then uh then we go to the food right and then we're like okay cool again write down what you're eating for a few days look at it this is sober and honest like this is just data it's not a judgment you know no one's no one's thinking you're a good or a bad person and say hey, am i getting enough protein you know usually for for men it's six palm-sized portions of protein a day and for women it's four or something like that depending on size and activity levels get your protein right then look at your vegetables and go am i getting enough oh i hate vegetables it's no excuse we publish an infographic on that how to eat vegetables if you hate vegetables is what it's called and uh, we teach you ways to train your palate so that you actually start to like these things and we teach you recipes for example steamed broccoli sucks who's going to raise their hand to eat that but if you take that steamed broccoli and put it in a blender with some salt and a tablespoon of olive oil, it's delicious. You might not believe really? it. Really? It really is. Uh, every one of my kids, they're two, four, six, and eight, will line up when I make mashed broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, or carrots. They just 
They're like, this is You're the best thing serious? ever. Right? Wow, but, that's crazy. But try and feed them the steamed version that was right before the, the blender, yeah. and they don't want it, right? So there's ways to do it, right? So then you look at the vegetables and your protein, and then you look at your carbs, and you go, okay, cool. Honestly, am I eating too much sugars and processed foods and stuff? None of it's bad, but too much of it adds too many calories, and you gain weight and health suffers. Right. So you just start doing those simple, simple interventions. And over time, you'll be like, oh, I made these subtle changes. And then I want you to look at your sleep, you know, write down. When am I getting to bed? When am I waking up? What's the pattern here? Is that enough? Most people need eight hours. You know, lots of people try to hack the system and be like, no, no, I'm good on six. You're not good on six. No one's good on six. There's a test. <laughs> one, of my, one of my friends is a sleep scientist. And they, they do this thing they call a sleep latency test. It's a sneak attack, right? So what they do yeah. is they bring you into the lab and they make you sit in a boring room while you're waiting for the researcher to arrive. And they time how fast you fall asleep. And the people who are doing great on six hours of sleep fall asleep inside of like two minutes. You know, and the sleep latency test tells you like how sleep deprived you really are, right? Wow. And so people who aren't sleeping seven, eight hours. Now, you know, we got four kids. We don't get it all the time. But adding 15 minutes, half an hour, you know, doing better sleep hygiene at night, shutting off the devices, or at least putting the, the uh, there's a program I use called Flux, which goes on my computer. So if I do end up on the computer before bed, it takes out all of the stimulating light so that it's, so that you don't stay awake afterwards, right? So it actually blocks the wavelength of light wow. that is stimulatory. So then you look at that and then you look at stress in your life, right? And you go, hey, what's, what's going on with that? Do I have a way to cope with stress? For a lot of, I call it parasympathetic activation is what you need. And there's a lot of ways to get it. You know, for anyone who's worked in sport before, you know that a lot of strength and power athletes have turned to marijuana as a mechanism for whatever, right? Whatever. <laughs> and early in my career, I used to judge that. And then as I learned more about cannabis and as I learned more about the kind of athlete who uses it, I realized that uh, this is actually... For male strength and power athletes, generally like alpha type guys, uh, the only way they could do parasympathetic recovery, because here's the other ways, yoga, meditation, candlelit bath with Epsom salts. So which, which <laughs> one of my NFL athletes are doing that, right? Like um, are you quiet that? music, you know? Uh, some of them, when they get woke and more aware, will. But a lot of them are trying to get the same effect by using cannabis and playing video games. You know what I mean? It's their parasympathetic activation to balance the sympathetic activity of their life, which is stressful activity, you know? And so work can do that to you. Sport can do that to you, all those things. So uh, just FYI, this is not John Berardi on air recommending cannabis, but I'm saying <laughs> parasympathetic state is what you need. Some people, a walk in the woods is awesome for that, just being in nature. Sure. But it's not just get rid of stress, because that's not always an option, but it's have tools that mitigate stress. So, so I mean, I just gave four things, you know, move, you know, find good movement in your life, make subtle nutrition changes, sleep, find a way to sleep more, and then have a stress management strategy. And if you do those four things, your body's going to do better. I mean, there's, there's not a person I've met who doesn't do better with that. That's awesome. Hey, John, thank you so much, brother, for taking the time. I'm glad we made our Monday, uh, schedule for you that was great and uh, <laughs> yeah. i really really appreciate this. this is a wealth of information yeah uh, you can obviously google john berardi you can look him up at precisionnutrition.com he's got books out there anything in particular that we're missing that you want to promote john 
No, I don't have to promote anything, guys. I just, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. And for everyone who's listened the whole way through, uh, God bless you. You know, we've been talking for over an hour. Thank you. Thanks for spending your time with us today. And hopefully you got some nuggets out of this that you can put to use in your life. Yeah, I've learned that I'm doing everything wrong. (laughs) I'm depressed. (laughs) I'm going drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. Hey, everyone, we'll be back uh, next week. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.